Hello, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophie's Group, episode 205 today. And Paul Adams is joining me this time. This is Adrian hosting, and we are going to discuss something that we do need an engineer on the podcast to discuss, and that is development prototypes, right? And what you're going to do, Paul, hopefully for us, is you're going to go into what development prototypes are. We can cover that briefly and also the issues and limitations of these, right? So, first of all, welcome. Well, thank you, sir. Good to be back again. Absolutely. If we get started with a bit of context then and a brief introduction into what am I talking about when I'm talking about development prototypes? I mean, it's certainly not mass-produced products, right? No, that's right. And uh, now when we're talking about prototypes, let's um I want to break this down into two things as we move forward. Uh so generally when we're talking about prototypes, people think about 3D printed plastic components. Okay, so which is a very valid point. And we're going to cover that. But we've also got uh metal prototypes. So if we've got a a, a production unit that needs to be a, a have a, a cast product or a casing or a gearbox, for example. Um, how, how do we go forward with respect to getting a, a prototype up and running for you know, development purposes? Um, so I'm going to break this down into into two sections. First of all, I want to cover the plastic side of things, and, and then we can touch on uh, the metal side of things and, and how we can actually approach those two um, particular materials. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, look, you go into most facilities these days that are doing prototyping and you're likely to see CNC machines, for example, right? And so, you know, what are they doing? Well, they're working with metal and there's a reason for that. So, yeah, it's good that we're going to cover the metal as well, for sure. Let's uh, take a step back and, and look at uh, sort of the, why are we producing uh, a prototype to start with uh, during the okay. development, de- development stage? Now, there's, 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 there's three things that normally come to mind. It's a bit form and function is, is what we normally use and that term is thrown around a lot in the in the development stages of uh, getting a prototype up and running now the fit form and function is obviously there for a reason uh, is the product fit for purpose and that's the first style of prototype and this can be rough and ready and and this could be literally um, not even plastic at all it could be simply a couple of switches inside a cardboard box for example you know very rudimentary um does the system that i'm thinking about function you know it, it is okay um is it fit for purpose is it fit for moving forward well one would assume that it is so therefore we're going to be moving on to the form and this is where we start to get the details of a product into your hand you know so you've got your 3d cad you, you've gone through some designs iterations you've got your, your industrial design potentially at the first or second level i think oh, it's looking pretty good let's make a prototype to see what it looks like okay so we know that uh, sort of the, it, it's um it's fit for purpose and, and it moves forward um the form of this is really bringing the idea to life and and there are limitations to that but uh, then fit, form, and function. And then we're really looking at the user interface type of thing. And and this is, again, it's, it's different prototypes are required for different purposes. And this is one of the things that we need to, need to understand as engineers. And, and a lot of our customers 
uh, need to understand as well with respect to the differences between each of the styles or the, the stages of the prototypes. Now, again, uh, we're now looking at the, the different processes. Uh, and I'm going to stick with the plastics for the moment. And I'll, I'll touch on the metals later, Adrian, if that's all right. So if we're looking at mm. the, the plastics, for example, you know, we're looking at you know, the, the, the pretty rough and ready uh, DFM style where you, where you, you can get these like, 3D printers um, that lay down a, a layer of filaments at a time and build up a very rough layer of, um, of, of material to create your final products. Now, this is clearly not going to be very useful for marketing, for example, or putting in front of a, um, you know, a client or a customer um, or a potential customer or a sales um, tool. It's, it's too rough, you know, but it's serving a purpose. It's actually bringing the, the 3D CAD off of the computer and into your hand such you can have a look at it. Um, but don't expect any miracles with respect to the surface finish or tight tolerances or anything like this. Even with post-process finishing, you know, where we can start to sand things down and potentially machine surfaces or holes or things like this, it's not going to be your, you know, top draw, top quality product that, you know, you can use as a sales model. It's just not going to do. So we've certainly got a limitation there. You know, so, but if you do want to move on to something a little bit better, you know, so high fidelity, for example, you know, to use a, a term, we've got different processes nowadays. You know, we've got SLA, you know, and SLS, which is um, selective laser sintering, which do give a higher resolution. They give you a higher tolerance you know, or a tighter tolerance, let's say, right? And you are able to. Uh, provide that post-process finishing such that you do get a reasonable surface. But again, you're not going to get that really, really high-quality, high-gloss finish that you would from an injection-molded part out of a tool for production. Now, and again, it's setting the expectations with respect to which each of these processes can provide versus what the product is intended for now what i want to bring us i want to keep on bringing us back into these are development prototypes in other words we're still in the development phases of a product you know we're not we're not anywhere near production yet so there's no tooling laid down for any injection molding tool at all so you know we, we really need to understand what some of these limitations are and uh, so we need to look at the, the fit form and function, right, from a development aspect, okay? So some of the things we need to consider, well, having said all that, right, we, ne- we can now de- you know, dive a little bit deeper, you know, tear back a few of the layers with respect to well, what does that mean, you're asking? Well, I'm talking about stability, you know? So if you're looking at stability of a thin wall section for example if that wall section is relatively high so uh, 50 60 70 millimeters or a couple of inches and depending on where you're you're coming from you know you need to make sure that you've actually designed that correctly this is potentially going to be different from the production result 
Yeah. So your your three D printed product may warp, or it may bend, or it may come out of tolerance requirements in your prototype. Whereas from a tooled component, right, it may be okay. So we need to look at that. Okay. So that that's one consideration uh, for sure. The other thing we need to be looking at is the thickness of layers uh, that the prototype process can actually produce. Now, if we're looking at SLA and SLS, right, that's, that's pretty small. You know, so 0.1, 0.2 uh, millimeters, uh, which is, you know, quite small. And, and that's pretty good. However, that's not as tight or it's not as small as what you would expect from the production injection molded parts. You know, so again, limitations on what we can expect from our 3D printed plastic components. And another one is uh, high high resolution, high finish. Um, the, the, the basic the, the process here is uh, with um, SLA, stereolithography, which is a resin. That's a, uh, it's a melted resin. So you can actually get a pretty good finish on that but the material is not a gloss finish so you, you this is not going to be a gloss finish you may apply a varnish or, a, or some other lacquer to actually seal it and and provide a, a smooth surface or a gloss finish however you're adding thickness to that product by that finish you can even add paint um spray paint or you know just, just brush the paint on but again that is adding mm. thickness Adding thickness means you're coming out of tolerance from your original component. So, again, this is a big limitation if you are expecting the bit of two components to act as if they were coming out of injection mold tools. Big, big things to remember Ooh. and to consider. Um, another thing you've got to be looking at is snap fits and hooks um, that in, in, in general production environments some of the polymers that we're using are flexible and designed as a living hinge polypropylene being a typical example there but you're not necessarily going to get the same effect or, or same performance from a 3d printed plastic component and consequently when you're trying mm. to determine whether two components snap fit together and will this be okay in production well you know, guess what? It may break. It may break, you know, particularly over a period of time where you're trying it a few times. Yeah, it, inevitably, it's not as strong or it's not as flexible. It certainly doesn't have the same mechanical properties as the final polymer that will be used in injection molding. Now, a lot of these are big considerations and limitations for the process itself. Um, and again, I want to bring us back into, remember, we are in the development stages of putting a product into market. Yeah, I was going to say, this is, you know, something to remember because I think maybe sometimes, and I'm sure you've had this from customers over the years, they see a prototype that's made during development and they're like, hey, hang on a minute, this is, this is not up to standard. This isn't what my mass-produced product needs to look like. But of course, that's the whole point, isn't it? We're not we're not trying to replicate the mass-produced product in terms of the exact look and finish necessarily. We're trying to make a prototype that's going to tell us something about how the product is functioning and help us to test and validate. Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's exactly that. 
And you know, the majority of people understand that, but there are exceptions. Obviously, yeah. there are exceptions. Um, and it's these exceptions that we need to uh, manage the expectations of, of everybody involved, you know, and, um, and don't get me wrong, you know, we, we can work with, uh, with our uh, internal team, that we can work with external suppliers um, when it comes to uh, 3D printing and, you know, make sure that we get the, the resolution as fine as possible. We get the print speed as slow mm. as possible. We, you know, that there are a number of, characteristics within the process itself that can be fine-tuned in order to get the best possible result from the process or each of the processes involved and that takes time obviously and the post finishing you know post-process finishing manually by hand takes time and time is obviously money so what i'm saying is you know you can get exactly the same prototype in the left hand it's you know, produce within a couple of days and you've got the product in front of you and you think, okay, this is what it's going to look like. This is fine. I'm happy to move forward. Whereas the one that took two weeks and three times the cost is pretty much, you know, this is a good looking product. I can take some photographs of this and, you know, instead of my renders, I've got an actual product I can take photographs of. Um, So there there are expectations and uh, there, there are still limitations on that, you know, the right hand products where we spent a lot of time, and a lot of money, but you know, it's that, that's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. But in general, sure. you know, you need to be looking at, you know, it's, it's, through the development phase, let's look at making sure we've got the, uh, the fit form and function all ticked off. And, and we can do that through rapid prototyping and 3d printing. Mm. Um, so that that's your plastic. And one other thing I just want to uh, bring to bring to the table on on this is size. Okay, I think everybody's been on on YouTube or, or watched a video of you know the chess piece being made and some of these intricate you know components being three D printed and everyone's going wow look at that that's really cool you know and they're relatively mm. small you know and the smaller the component the, the higher the accuracy. If for example some of the some of the the products that you may require prototyping may be like half a meter long or something like this you know this is where we have potential limitations with respect to keeping that product within any type of tolerance you know that is acceptable for the fit form and function testing uh, moving forward the larger the product the bigger the problems you're going to have with respect to keeping that straight um, keeping that in line, not warped, you know, it's, it, you're going to get all sorts of funny things happening with uh, the larger products. All right. That there are ways around it. You know, we've got a lot of support structures within the process itself in order to produce that. But again, it takes a little bit longer and there's a higher risk factor with respect to it's not going to be as accurate as anything that's going to come out of a tool. Yeah. So we do need to know that of plastics now you've outlined some of those really well when we're talking about prototyping for sure okay and so going back to the start you did mention it's not only about plastic we do sometimes create prototypes in metal we do yes we do uh, clearly, and, and and a lot of people out there are, uh, are thinking, well, I, I don't I don't create any plastic. Pro- all my all my products are metal. 
you know, it's like mm-hmm. whether it be a gearbox or whether that be a, a component for a, a motorbike or an e-bike or, or whatever the case may be. And so a lot of these components are required to be produced from metal. Uh, and I can, I, can, I can hear everyone saying, well, just CNC machine them. That's not a problem. But yeah, 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 we, we can CNC machine them. That's not a problem. But again, there are limitations with respect to if it's going to be a, a, a high pressure die cast complex housing for 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 a motor uh, for example mm. can you get all of the undercuts can you get all of the cavities machined out correctly from a cnc machine maybe maybe not you know again we, we need to have a look at the limitations on that now an, one quick way forward is to get your first prototype done via plastic you know that, that that's the obvious yeah. one. Just just to make sure that yeah. it looks okay. Make sure that the okay. Uh, the, the, this is um this is exactly what I'm thinking it's going to be. But clearly, you won't be able to do any uh, functional testing uh, of a gearbox with a with an intended plastic um you know intended uh, metal part with any plastic parts. Um, and that, that goes for gears, mm. for example. You know. Um. So it's a bit aesthetic. Like, yeah. Exactly. That that's all it can be. You know, that's all it can be. But but again, you know, we we do have the technology available for us today to do uh, a three D metal printing. Um, so it's very similar to the the, the plastic process. Uh, we're looking at uh, a three D metal sintering, um, which is which is really good, and this can actually provide uh, a pretty much replica, pretty good replica, the same as what the plastics would of the the product itself so you know in my mind i've got the a gearbox housing a lack of a a better imagination that that's what i'm thinking of at the moment so i know that a gearbox housing has you know fairly complex contours around it it's got some undercuts it'll have some bearing holes it'll have some mounting holes you know it it could have a logo etched in it or embossed in it it's going to have all sorts of details on it and with the 3D metal printing, yeah, you're able to achieve all of that. However, yeah, I must stress there are limitations with this metal as well. So if we look at some of the limitations, you know, we're looking at the strength. Obviously, it's not going to have the same mechanical properties as your uh, finished high-pressure die casting product. It's just not. It's going to be. It's going to be okay for initial testing. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, we'll be able to do some initial testing on that um, to to validate the uh, the product, make sure everything's functional, make sure everything's working. Um, but will it last the length of time? No, it probably won't. Um, it's not meant to be. It, it is meant for you know, again, bring, bring us back into the development phases of a you know of a product. It's meant for you know, making sure that we can validate the product before we move into any expensive tooling. Because if you, you know, if you if you jump into tooling without going through the validation of your prototypes and there's an issue, mm. guess what? You know, that's an expensive jump to make um, because you're potentially, you know, forever chasing your tail on modifying the tools or you've got to scrap them and start again. And uh, they're not, they're not, yeah. you know, whereas... Well, we just, uh, we just mentioned this last week, actually. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's very topical. And, and it's better to make iterative changes on a prototype, you know, where you could print one, test it, make changes where you see fit, you know, 
make, you know, update the CAD, you know, release the files and get another one printed out and, and away you go. Now, if you are, you know, if you're looking at a simple product, you know, yeah, for sure, you can go CNC machining. Um, but again, you're looking at the limitations, the limitations of CMC machining versus a, a cast product or something like this. You know, you've got the setup cost. You know, for a one-off component on a CNC machine is, it, it's not as cheap as a 3D printing process. You've got material limitations with respect to what you can use and will it be the same as, you know, your high-pressure die casting, for example? You know, you've got to take that into consideration. Um, a lot of the times, you know, it's everything's a trade-off and everything's a, a compromise because there are always limitations on development prototypes, regardless of whether it's plastic, whether it's metal or any other um, sort of fabrication you can think of. There's always going to be a limitation at the prototype stage. And that's for a reason, you know, because we're not actually spending the money in order to go into full production until we've validated and confirmed the design is ready to move into mass production. So all of these, all of these uh, sort of materials, you know, you, you need to look at the mechanical properties and, and say, okay, if, if I CNC machine it or if I 3D print it versus my final product material selection how close am i you know what what are the limitations i've got to work within you know and you need to base your testing through the development stage based upon that data and information you have at hand that makes sense it certainly does yeah absolutely okay so we've set the scene on well kind of the difference between a prototype and a mass-produced product okay that's probably fairly self-explanatory but it is good to just manage expectations when we're talking about making prototypes. And you've also gone into some of the differences and limitations of prototyping in plastic and metal. What I liked was, and I'll, I'll make this point now, is that you wrote, if I do say so myself, a cracking blog post on Agilian well, recently, you. which I'll leave the link to in the show notes. And what I really enjoyed as well was at the end, you sort of made a list of some of the key limitations of prototypes, which you have definitely touched on already, some of them, and also some of the considerations that the listeners need to really have in mind when prototyping. So shall we just go through those briefly? I, yeah, let, let's touch on those. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go through these uh, in detail, but yeah, certainly touch on them. So the, the key limitations, if you're reading along and listening at the same time, here we go. Um, so, <laughs> Bonus points for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let us know if you are. Um, dimensional accuracy and surface finish. This is a big thing on, on prototypes, regardless of whether the method is you know, 3D printing, CNC machining, whatever the case may be. There's often a struggle to match the precise dimensions and the surface finish that you need to achieve in mass production, okay, something like mm. a, a die casting or an injection mold. Um, we had um, we had a good discussion yesterday, I think, uh, as one of our customers came in and, and he was thinking about doing a a custom texture uh, for his product, and and we were, he's got some mm -hmm. sort of fairly sharp curves um, on the product, and we're saying, well, you know, potentially it's not going to be good around this particular area because of the uh, ejection 
issues and, and uh, stuff like this. So, okay, forget it. I'm going to go with a standard texture out of the, uh, sort of the Xing book that we've got. Uh, and again, we can reference that, Adrian. But it's a standard mm-hmm. finish. But all of his prototypes to date do not have any surface finish on them at all. Okay, and he's perfectly yeah. okay with that. But the rest of the team, or he, the rest of his team and the marketing team, have got no idea how to visualize what what the surface finish is going to be like. Um, so again, you know, there's it, a key limitation on on this process itself. We've touched on we touched on material properties, which is the next point on on the list. Um, and I've said here, you know, CNC machine offers a close material representation of prototypes but they lack exact mechanical properties. Now, when we're talking about exact mechanical properties, if you're looking at a high-pressure die casting, and if you look at that uh, as a cross-section under a microscope versus a, a billet, it's going to be very, very different. Okay? They offer different mechanical properties. So, again, this is a limitation. And if you're basing it upon your CNC machined representation at the development stage of what the production unit is going to be and what it can withstand, you may get false readings or a misleading result. Mm. Okay? So really important to understand that. The next point I've touched upon is uh, some production volume and cost. Now, I did mention earlier that, you know, prototype methods like 3D printing and CC machining are typically slower and therefore more expensive. The larger the quantities, the mass production methods, the cheaper the products will be all right you've got the upfront cost of the tooling and stuff like this but you know ultimately your part cost is going to be a lot less than your uh sort of prototype process itself for sure Mm. Um, design complexity um this is a big one actually you know and i think i've touched on this quite a bit you know throughout the, the the podcast itself with respect to you know why are the um, that the processes of both CNC machining or uh, any of the other processes we talked about, you're not necessarily going to be able to achieve the complexity that you require in the final product where you would be able to get that from a die cast, for example, um, or an injection mold tool. You know, you, you certainly will be able to do that. Some of the some of the injection mold tools, you know, when you're talking about over over molding and, and stuff like this, you're just not going to be able to you know, achieve that very easily you know, through prototyping during the development stage. Again, key limitation we need to look at and consider. Uh, post-processing, I've touched on this. You know, a lot of the post-processing for prototypes is hand finishing. You know, when we're talking about smoothing down the surface, you're talking about painting or spraying. You're talking about heat treatment of the, the 3D metal printed parts. All of this adds time. All of this adds cost. And, you know, compared to the actual final product, it's not necessarily going to be exactly the same. So, again, you need to understand Absolutely. that as you're moving forward in your development product and testing. Um, a couple of other things I just want to – I don't want to go, go on too much, but uh, another thing is that the environmental impact. Um, CNC machining typically generates a lot more waste material because you're machining mm. from a, a you know complete billet of material. You, know, material. Uh, you get to the final part, bang. You, you're just using the 
the shot weight. In other words, the the weight of the component to either inject or uh, die cast, you know, high pressure die cast. And, and, and there's very, very little waste upon that, you know, even down to the point where the, the runner system can be uh, reused and recycled. Um, so a lot less oh, waste sure. on, the, on, the, on the final um, production process versus CNC machining. A lot of scrap waste then. It, it, it often, the, the waste from plastic injection molding, you've got all the little runners and things like that. They're basically little tiny plastic parts, right? And yep. they're in a big sort of bin next to the machine. And those, they can actually be reground and used again as, as plastic to go into injection molding. Obviously, there's certain ways to do it. You don't just use... You don't just use only that. It would probably be mixed with virgin plastic. And yeah. so it's quite a uh, circular process, actually, injection molding. It doesn't create a lot of waste. Correct. Yes. Yeah. You, you don't normally just use 100% regrind. Yeah. It's, the percentage is no. lower. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's a lot less impactful on the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, mm-hmm. and the last one I want to touch on here before we go into the last two considerations is uh, the lead time. Now, again, I've, I've mentioned this. Um, in the last 10, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And while you know, die-casting tooling and uh, the final production is, is a lot quicker because you're churning out these components per second, per, per tens of seconds, per, per minute, whatever the case may be, or the cycle time, CNC machining takes mm. time. It's a long process. And this is why uh, it takes a lot of time and consequently your you know, your final bill for a single component on a prototype that's been CSE machined is generally quite high. So again, mm-hmm. something else to, um, to, to look at. So mm-hmm. if you are reading along, we're now down to the considerations. Um, so there's a couple of considerations here that uh, so I, I picked up on. I uh, just want to share with you while you're listening now is that yeah. the, the, the ideal choice between prototypes and production methods depends on the specific needs and your priorities when you're developing your product. Now, consideration factors like required volume, the accuracy, and the material properties, your budget, and your design complexity. You know, I'm not going to give you any examples, but, you know, it may be the case where you're never going to hit high numbers. You're never going to require high accuracies you know, you're never going to, you know, have the huge budget in order to create the uh, injection mold tools or the die cast tools. So therefore, you know, you may be in a situation where the quantity of products you are producing doesn't actually mm. warrant going down that road. So therefore, you may actually forever and a day just have CSC machine parts. You know, that, that's, mm. uh, that's very viable, very viable. Okay, so that is something to look at, and and, and that needs to be a uh, a company wide, your company wide uh, review and analysis of, of the product, the market, your sales channels, etc. Um, so the the last consideration I want to touch on here, Adrian, is is the prototypes remain crucial in the early design iteration. Okay, visual representations. I've mentioned that and limited testing and i've mentioned that we need to understand what we can use these prototypes for during the development stage and they're basically there for one validating your design looks good 
more importantly, making sure that the product works and functions the way your specification or design has been designed to work. Okay. Now it's a lot easier in order to have this iterative design, the um, changes in a prototype stage as opposed to the production stage, like I mentioned before. Um, but however, that there are limitations. I'm just reading this now. So the limitations highlight the importance of transitioning to production methods like die casting and injection molding for accurate testing and mass production. Don't just go once, once you go through that hurdle with respect to, okay, development stage done. We're now into tooling. Don't just go straight into selling your first thousand, two thousand million products. You need to validate the product is coming off of the tool correctly. You need to do that final round of testing to make sure that everything's perfectly okay from an assembly point of view and, and, and everything will fit together correctly and everything like this. So you're not done testing. You know, once you've done your development stage, you, you, you've done validating everything, but you then need to prove that the uh production methodology is correct and you're producing your parts within specification so basically yeah, yeah. yeah that that that's basically why and if you if you need any help with this you know we uh we're always here to to have a discussion um uh, we've got some a lot of resources on the website um we've got uh various different um pdfs you can download etc etc i know adrian you've uh got a handle on this but uh, yeah, that's that's basically limitations of uh, development prototypes in a nutshell. Nice. And what a way to finish. That's true. Uh, everybody's always free to get in touch. The listeners, if you want any help or any advice, uh, engineers like Paul, uh, they can have a chat with you about your situation and give you some no strings advice. So let's wrap this up, Paul. Thanks for going through that topic. And hopefully that's shed a lot of light on what we're doing when it comes to prototyping and what our expectations should be, especially considering the two sort of key materials that we're likely to use, which are plastic and metal. Love it. Uh, we'll be back next week as normal. And to the listeners, thanks for listening. And to you, Paul, thanks for coming on. We'll get you back on soon. Thank you. Look forward to it. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.